The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Learn how to eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. A video called Three-Year-Old White Belt Reciting the Student Creed has gone viral. In it, an adorable toddler affirms, I will develop myself in a positive manner and avoid anything that would reduce my mental growth or physical health. I will develop self-discipline in order to help bring out the best in myself and others. I will use common sense before self-defense and never be abusive or offensive. We are dedicated. We are motivated. We are on a quest to be our best. Now, that pledge is for students of Taekwondo but I think it could be for vegans, or maybe humans in general. Hi, I'm Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan Program, and speaking of things going wild on the internet, my guest in our second half will be Amy Rebecca Wild. She's the founder of Vegans of Instagram, as well as a vegan fashion entrepreneur out there in the city of angels. And right now, it is my pleasure to introduce an actual angel, an angel for the animals, Kathy Stevens, founder and director of Catskill Farm Animal Sanctuary. Welcome, Kathy. Hello, beautiful lady, one of my favorite people on the planet. How are you? Oh, I'm good. And and that favorite people thing goes both ways. We have got so much to talk about today, Kathy, because you are doing amazing things. There's the new cookbook. There's the new podcast, All Beings Considered. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a brilliant <laughs> title that is. And then there is What Is Not Happening This Weekend which I find really interesting as we talk about animals and health and environment as the three legs that veganism stands on. And we're having a heat wave here in New York. You want to talk about that? Sure. We were supposed to be having our annual shindig where Victoria has actually been a speaking guest a few years back. We have it every summer. It attracts several hundred people. But when we looked at the forecast, and it was predicted to be 100 degrees here with a heat index of 109, we put our heads together and realized we sat very sadly because 
as anybody who's done event planning knows, many months go into the planning of an event. We decided we had to cancel because it 100 degrees is extremely challenging for people, and it's even more challenging for a lot of animals who are bred to grow quickly and enormously and quite literally, in some cases, weigh hundreds of pounds more than they are supposed to. Um, weren't supposed to be in this country in the first place, where originally came from different climates. And so we're really at severe risk of heat exhaustion, of hyperventilation, of heat stroke. And so it's going to take every all the person power we can muster to keep our animals safe. So we're bummed out, but it, it was the thing we felt we had to do. And this is one of the reasons I love you so much. Nothing comes in the way of the animals. End of story. No. <laughs> so no. what do you do, Kathy? It, it's hot as the dickens. And I know you also deal with terrible winters. I lived up there in the Catskills for a year, and I thought I was in <laughs> Antarctica. So you take care of these animals in extremes of weather. So what are you doing now? What are you going to be doing on, on Saturday that's extraordinary to help take care of these guys? Well, we've got lots of blocks of ice on order so that we can keep their water temperature cooler, and that's for the big animals, but also the chickens and turkeys will literally, they cannot tolerate weather like this. So we're going to be keeping them uh, in the shade, indoors in the shade as much as possible, but we've also got extra tubs that we're going to fill with ice bat uh, blocks when we need to so they're at the ready when we need to bring their body temperatures down we've got misters we've got extra hoses um set up so that we can spray and mist any animal who's showing signs of distress we have a huge underfoot family they're called our cast of free-range characters we're not going to let them roam we're going to keep them in the barn the barn is a good 10 to 15 degrees cooler than the outside. It's a cinder block base, so it, it stays decent. So the, the ones we're wor really worried about um, are the sheep, because they show signs of distress when it's 80, they're too hot. So if we've got 100 plus degree weather, we're very concerned about them. We can't, because they're woolly, we can't dunk them in water. The, the wool would just kind of trap the water and probably make them even hotter. So um, we're just going to try to keep them indoors and and watch their hydration levels and wait for the sun to go down. My goodness. And I guess you have extra volunteers since you were going to have the shindig. So hopefully they'll all be there. And anybody listening, if you are near Saugerties, New York, or if you're even a little bit near, it's a beautiful trip to be in touch with Catskill Farm Animal Sanctuary. They're wonderful people to work with, and uh, I know they would love getting to know you. So, We Kathy, absolutely would, and let me, oh, let me just add one thing, Victoria. We yeah. are also closed on Sunday because it's supposed to be 98 on Sunday, and again, we really just got to focus on keeping the animals safe so if anybody who was planning on coming to the shindig instead 
thought they would come on Sunday. It's still going to be almost 100, so maybe look, look for another weekend to visit. Okay, so this sounds like a good weekend to go to a movie or something. I want to see the one about Leonard Cohen and his true love. I think it's called Leonard and Marianne. I went to the Leonard Cohen exhibition last week. It's at the Jewish Museum here in Manhattan through uh, mid-September, I believe, if anybody can get to it. I found it so inspiring. And usually these days I only get Mm. inspired by vegans. (laughs) But I also think, you know, I can Mm. open myself so that somebody who uses their gifts to the good, it just makes me so excited. And I walked out of there and made a couple of decisions. Like, you know what? There, there's work to be done here. <laughs> this cause is so vital. Let's not let anything get in the way. Let's get it done. So that's what Leonard Cohen did no, for good me. Good for you. Ah, good for well, you. I hope, I hope you can and get Leonard. down and see it. It's, it's amazingly inspiring. So for anybody who does not know about Catskill Animal Sanctuary, give us the elevator speech. Sure. We are a 150-acre farmed animal sanctuary two hours north of Manhattan in the beautiful Hudson Valley. We take in 10 species of farmed animals who, of course, are broken both physically and psychologically. We love them through their healing process. They become extraordinary ambassadors to people who haven't, who haven't connected the dots yet between their diet and the suffering of so many others. We also are a a teaching sanctuary. That's my background. And so to that end, we have, as you said, a brand new cookbook, a brand new podcast. We have a, a mentor program. We have a leadership camp for children. And we have customized tours that are aligned with the New York State school standards. So we're always looking to grow that half of what we do so that when good-hearted people do come on a tour and say, oh, my God, I had no idea that this is who they were, that this is who these animals were, that, that this is who they are, that we can then take the next step and help them in that journey. Mm, that's beautiful. So I read recently, and I don't remember if this person visited your sanctuary or another one, but on the tour where the history of these animals is being told, and it is what it is, you know, you can't say, well, this one came from old McDonald's farm and everything was perfect every minute. You know, these animals have histories, usually tragic histories. And someone complained that she didn't want to be Uh, converted to veganism. That wasn't why she visited the sanctuary. Do you get this kind of comment? What would you say to a person like that? Um, We do get that kind of comment, although it's striking how infrequently we get it now as compared to 10 and 15 years ago. We, We fairly routinely got that kind of comment or even sort of snide comments. So you, you approach this work the same way. We must lead with love. We must lead by example. We can never, because that woman feel, felt threatened or uncomfortable or judged, we can't match that defensiveness with defensiveness. So we would simply say something along the lines with, of, 
I'm very sorry you you feel this way. We're just trying to share the truth. Just keep it simple and not engage and not judge and not uh, get into that struggle. Yeah. Oh, I think it's so important. I recently took the Dale Carnegie course, which I thought I would never take because my mother read his books. How could I... <laughs> But it was it was so great. He wrote, you know, how to win friends and influence people. And oh, and sure. I realized they're just there are ways to deal with our fellow humans that are effective and kind and ways that aren't. And I feel like I'm learning that lesson late, but I'm willing to learn. Oh, gosh, I've never I mean, not that we know each other that well, but we've we've hung out often and I haven't seen you or heard about you approaching people in any other way than that but it, but you know aren't we all a work in progress and isn't it our job to just sort of always learn the lessons and if we misstep misstep to reboot and try again try to try to do it better the next time yeah, and I love how you use that word misstep. It's kind of like dancing. I've never been a very good dancer, but if you just keep stepping, <laughs> sometimes you're gonna get it. So Kathy yeah, you'll this, stay on your feet. Right. You have this is a beautiful cookbook. I love everything from the title, which is called Compassionate Cuisine. Well, of course it is. The lifestyle is compassionate. The way we try to treat humans is compassionate, and certainly the food. Compassionate Cuisine, 125 plant-based recipes from our vegan kitchen. And it's more than a cookbook because there are wonderful stories in it from you, wonderful animal stories. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I get so many cookbooks because of of this podcast, and that will start happening for you soon. (laughs) You'll have collections. Yippee! I will not complain about that. So the one thing that I always do whenever I get a cookbook is is I try to make one recipe and it's usually macaroni and cheese because that's my favorite thing. I mostly eat salads, but oh, if I had my druthers, it would be mac and cheese. And yours is very different. It's stovetop mac and cheese, which is so cool because it is hot here and I didn't want to turn on my oven. So that was great. I love it that the cheese sauce is made from vegetables which gives it a deeper, richer kind of flavor, I, I'm finding, than, than the ones made from, from nuts. And it was really yummy. And although I haven't gone beyond the mac and cheese yet, if that was any indication, I want to make every recipe in this whole book. Well, thanks. I cannot take credit for the recipes that were, they're all from Chef Linda and Chef Sarah. But they worked for a couple hard for a couple years on this, um, including having over a hundred recipe testers. So they did it right, and I've made lots of the recipes. In fact, my family and I over the weekend, even though we're in different parts of the country, all coincidentally were cooking from it at the same time. Oh, how and fun! We I. I haven't, it was fun. I haven't found any, I'm stuck in the salad section because it's summer. And oh my God, the salads are unbelievable. So go to the salad section next. And thank you for the kind words about that podcast. I love. Have you done the kale Caesar yet? Because that's where I have my bookmark. Uh, It is so good. It looks really, really good. And there's, there's. 
That's one of the things I made on the weekend. The polenta uh, croutons and the dressing are unbelievable. Yeah, the dressing looks amazing. I'm going to give people a hint. So raw cashews, garlic, real garlic, little bit of olive oil, lemon juice, white or yellow miso, Dijon mustard. That's kind of a secret ingredient. And kelp granules. You know, I think a lot of people use kelp for iodine, but they don't really understand what a role it can play in cuisine and give you that wonderful, rich, salty kind of taste without just going to the salt shaker. So, okay, that's my 109-degree lunch and dinner and maybe another lunch and dinner this weekend. So thank you, and everybody do check out. It's quite good. Yay. (laughs) Okay, Compassionate Cuisine, that's the cookbook. And how about the podcast? That I still can't get over the title. That's so sweet. All beings considered. What do you well, talk about? We couldn't. You know, there there needed to be a voice in the podcast space that knows animals the way that sanctuaries know them. At the same time, we're making the assumption that to varying degrees, all of us, or certainly most of us, care for animals, care for our health and the health of others, and care for the environment. So I rotate, I mean, look, I'm a neophyte. I'm, I haven't even been born yet. <laughs> I'm only eight episodes in. But the idea is to have a rotating list of guests, everybody from climate scientists to chefs to health experts, but then also to literally get down in the straw with the pigs and broadcast from the grounds of the sanctuary and to tell those stories that nobody knows unless they live with pigs in the same way that we live with our dogs and cats. So that's the, that's what I felt. You know, I, there's so many, so many great vegan podcasts. Yours is one of them. Our hen house is one of them. You know, I have a short list of my favorites, but this is what where I the gap that I felt we could fill, and I'm so excited to have the opportunity to do that. Oh, that is, and where where can we listen? Oh gosh, all over the place. It's on iTunes, okay. Spotify, Stitcher. Okay, great. Well, we will yeah. absolutely have to do that because nobody tells animal stories like you. Why don't you tell us one right now, just for the heck of it? Well, should I tell my 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 signature story, or are you tired of hearing that? You know, that is, I think you've probably told that before, but you know, like you say, you're in eight episodes, we're in eight years. <laughs> probably not many people are remembering back. So whatever you think is your favorite story, because then I want to ask you my controversial question. Okay. Well, my favorite story was a sto- It is my favorite story because it's about a moment that an, when an animal changed my life. We took in a violent sheep who was dangerous from an animal hoarder. He had this massive set of horns, and um, we had to let him be the first and only animal who slept in the middle of the barn aisle at night because when we put him behind closed doors, he would ram the door down. So... Uh, This was an animal who had been horribly treated until he came to us. I came down to the barn to check on the animals like I did every 
night in the early days, and I went from stall to stall to stall to stall, and my eye didn't catch the fact that one one stall door was open, the stall was empty, and that was where two turkeys should have been, but we'd left them out, and it was November, and it was sleeting. So I so humans screwed up twice in this scenario. The caretakers obviously had a miscommunication, and then the backup person, me, o- overlooked it again. So here are these two vulnerable animals out in the sleet, and um, I walked to the end of the barn. I said, good night, animals. Rambo very purposefully got up. He walked directly up to me. He looked up into my eyes, and he went, bah. I said, tell me what to do, because it was obvious that he was saying something's wrong. I said, I said, sorry, sorry. I said, show me. Show me what's wrong. He walked halfway down the barn aisle. He walked into that empty turkey stall, and he turned around, and he said, bah. So <laughs> he knew they were outside. He knew they weren't supposed to be. He figured out a way to tell a human being. He knew that the human being would help, which said to me he understands what this place is. And more than anything else, all of that blew me away, but more than anything else, an animal who had never known kindness had empathy for two animals who were having a pretty miserable night. And that moment... And the, and the remaining 11 years when he was my greatest teacher had me rethink a lot of our sort of 101 level practices and, about, and, and the assumptions that I made about the supposed differences between humans and non-human animals. So that's my favorite story. Rambo you changed know, my life and he changed Catskill Animal Sanctuary. That is a stunning story. And it actually means more to me listening to you today than when I've heard it in the past because I've just been reading a book called Ghost Boy about a young man who, uh, as a preteen, has a a brain infection and he appears to be profoundly disabled and as if nothing is going on Mm. when really he is very, very bright and his brain is fully engaged and he knows exactly what is happening at all times. And I think that that's how we think about so animals. We just assume that because they can't speak, nothing is happening internally when their inner lives are so rich, as you know, probably more than anybody. Just extraordinary. I mean, there's a reason we say here at the sanctuary, in the ways that truly matter, we're all the same. Mm. Oh. There's no emotion that we experience that animals don't, period, yes. the end. So it's such a gift to be able to connect people with animals who show them the truth of that. People don't expect turkeys to climb climb in their laps and fall asleep. But that's what happens. (laughs) So we only have five minutes, so I do want to ask you about the sensitive question. When I first knew that animal sanctuaries existed, there were very few of them. And then it was very exciting to see, wow, there are more. More animals will be rescued in in different parts of the country and and around the world as well. Now it almost seems that people are starting farmed animal sanctuaries without the thought 
the, the background, the wherewithal to make a go of it. And I'm very worried. I, I've heard a few people say that there needs to be a moratorium on new sanctuaries. Where do you come down on all that? I, it's a great question and it's an important question because certainly for a lot of reasons, but certainly funding, the growth of the funding sector is not keeping pace with the growth of sanctuaries. And I can tell you from having gotten queries from, I don't know, a couple hundred people over the years, that it does seem now more than ever that everybody and their brother wants to open a sanctuary. I got a a call a couple months ago from a 21-year-old woman who had been booted off of her family's property, and she said, you know, I have 18 animals, and they told me I can live there, but now I can't, so I want to I want to open a sanctuary. Tell me what to do. Wow. So that's the, that's the extreme case, but... Um, I cannot express, while I don't go so far as to say there should be a moratorium, I think that's going way too far. But I would say to people that simply because you have a deep and abiding love for animals does not mean that you have what it takes to run, to start and run and grow and sustain a sanctuary in an uncertain funding climate with climate change all around you with um, a lot of criticism in the animal rights and vegan space about the viability of sanctuaries. So if you are going to consider it, then I would say at the very least, really do your homework do internships at some of the best sanctuaries to see, get a better sense of what it takes, and and do an honest self self assessment and look at your. You're cutting out on me, Kathy. Do an honest self assessment and figure out if you've really got where it takes. What it takes. There are many other places to put your talent, time, and energy that will satisfy that itch to help animals. It is not necessary for us to have thousands of sanctuaries in order to, to impact animals and uh, this cause that we care so passionately about. Well, we do indeed. And, um, I, I love sanctuaries, and I hope that all that exist are able to be supported and care for the animals well. And as you say, that anybody thinking of this, really think about what you're going to be doing this weekend with the ice blocks and all of that. And just know that this is a labor of love, but certainly labor. Round the clock, round the clock seven days a week. And that, oh, that's your heart. Will never and you change. do it, and that's why you're an angel. Thank you so much, Kathy, and everybody else. Stay with us. We're going to go shopping in L.A. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. 
This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Wisdom Moment with Eric Butterworth. I love those lines of William Blake. To see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wildflower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. That's a kind of relativity that I think we all need to deal with prayerfully. So in a sense, what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount and what I'm trying to say to you this morning and perhaps looking in a mirror saying to myself, more importantly, slow me down, Lord. Let me get in tune. Let me get off the treadmill. Let me get the sense of oneness with the rhythm of life. Let me get in tune with a pace that is not related to the ticking of a clock, but to the divine flow in which great ideas easily and effectively and timelessly unfold themselves and manifest themselves in the right way at the right time and in a harmonious outworking that is right and good for all concerned. Slow me down, Lord. To hear more talks from Eric Butterworth, visit truthunity.net. Take Unity Magazine with you wherever you go with Unity Magazine Digital Edition. Available for Android, iOS, and Kindle. The digital version has the same thoughtful articles and you can adjust the size of the type for easy reading. Sign up for email notifications for the latest issues, articles by your favorite authors, and topics you care about. Unity Magazine's Digital Edition is free with your print subscription. Download the app today or go to unitymagazine.org slash subscribe to find out more. Relax, breathe, treat yourself. Join Reverend Dr. Temple Hayes and Spirit at Sea Travel for a cruise March 29th through April 5th, 2020. Secure your space aboard Royal Caribbean's Liberty of the Seas with stops in the Western Caribbean ports of Roatan, Cozumel, and Costamaya. Don't miss this retreat for mind, body, and spirit. Visit spiritatseatravel.com and mention Unity Online Radio when booking. Liz Dawn, CEO of Celebrate Your Life, has been presenting live events with some of the world's leading spiritual teachers for over 23 years. Liz is sharing some of these classic lectures every Monday at 10 a.m. Central on the Celebrate Your Life Hour. Join Liz as she shares memories of working with people like Dr. Wayne Dyer, Caroline Mace, Denise Lynn, and many others. These talks have never been heard on the air before. Listen exclusively on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening today. If you are new to the program, please check out my website, MainStreetVegan.net. You can find all kinds of stuff there. Main Street Vegan Academy, which trains vegans to be certified vegan lifestyle coaches and educators in a really cool six-day class in New York City. Uh, We've got a film project, A Prayer for Compassion. You can check out Vegan Lifestyle Coaches and read our blog, which this week is 
Easy Recipes for Great Brain Health by Main Street Vegan Academy graduate Sarah Easton. And, you know, when you say recipes, I think people think, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go buy 16 ingredients. But these are really quick little ideas that can really help with cognition, according uh, to the science that's out there. So these are things as easy as avocado toast on gluten-free bread or baked sweet potato topped with almond butter, blueberries, bananas, and ground flax. Really yummy, really good, great post. Hope you will all take a look. And now it is my great honor and pleasure to be introducing our next guest for today's program. And she is Amy Rebecca Wild, an activist turned entrepreneur. So Amy's been vegan for nearly 17 years, and she adopted this moral code at a young age, spending her childhood volunteering at pen adoptions and demonstrating outside the Los Angeles Zoo. So she founded and has run for some time the Venice Beach Boutique Vegan Scene. I've been there. I've been there. they're now um, online for the moment. They're going to be uh, opening that in a new location soon. And she has launched her own vegan and ethical fashion line, Legends and Vibes. I'm loving the titles today. We had a great podcast title (laughs) and now a great clothing line title. And also, I think it's very inspiring and impressive that Amy is actually the founder and the face of Vegans of Instagram. And if you're vegan, you're on Vegans of Instagram. Everybody's on Vegans of Instagram. I'm impressed. Hi, Amy. Hi there. Um, Thanks for having me back on. It's a pleasure because you are doing lots of stuff more than when you were on last time. So just uh, fill us up to date. What's happening uh, with you these days? Yeah, so last time when I was on the program, that was about 2015. We had just recently opened our uh, first location on Main Street in Venice. And a lot has happened since then. We've just, um, we've launched our own clothing line and we are just a very short amount of time from being able to launch that to wholesale. It's the Legends and Vibes by Vegan Scene uh, women's clothing line. We had a successful Kickstarter that um, we just wrapped up a little bit earlier in this year. And um, we've been looking for a new retail space that's a better fit for us. So while we are online at the moment, we are going to be back out because I, I really believe in having a vegan representation for brick and mortar as well. Um, so we have a lot coming up and next year it's going to be even busier. But I'm really excited about uh, where we're going and how far vegan fashion and just the the vegan community has gotten. Um, so yeah, that that there's um busy busy, but um, all moving forward. So I'm excited. Oh, that that is exciting, and I'm so happy that you're going to open another brick and mortar space because to me, shopping is fun <laughs> and it's creative, and if you really want your clothes to fit. <laughs> Sometimes it's just good to be able to try them on first. So uh, I really admire that even though the world seems to be going online only, you're saying, no, we need to be everywhere because veganism needs to be everywhere. So um, let's go back a little bit for people who maybe didn't hear you in 2015. What inspired you to launch these companies? 
I've um, I've always been a pretty independent person and driven to do what I can to use what I love, but also to advance animal rights. So for me, I've just kind of always had the mindset if there isn't something there and I feel strong enough about it that I should go off and um, really see if I can make something out of it. So Vegan Scene was born because it was a combination of a lot of what I loved and my skill set was and I thought that I had what it took to really start a 100% vegan space that really focused on the lifestyle and made uh, vegan fashion and products and really the community more accessible to uh, not just vegans themselves, but people who are not as familiar with the lifestyle and make it more um, accessible and, and, and fun because veganism itself can be a, a heavy topic because it's a response to the injustices that are happening to animals, but it does really open a lot of um, amazing new alternatives that are not just good for animals, but the people and the planet. And there's a huge sustainability aspect from that as well. So I, I just felt that um, I needed to start a, a vegan boutique because uh, as you said, I, you like shopping. I, I love shopping and I, was hard because I didn't have there wasn't a vegan storefront or an online space that was really curated uh for vegan fashion but also had an educational aspect to it as well that made it fun and engaging so um for me just wanting to seeing that there was something missing out there I just decided to move forward and jumped right into it and um and as that journey progressed, um, you know, we had started as a um, as a curated boutique, but one of the issues that I had with merchandising is just being able to find uh, clothing brands that met all of our standards for being vegan, having sustainability factors that are fabrics that are sourced um, that just don't meet the animal free qualities but actually have um our source that are great for the environment as well and um, we don't talk about it as much there's a lot that has to do with factory farming but what happens with clothing production is it's um fast fashion is a huge contributor to um to climate change and just overall waste so um as a you know having a boutique and being right into it uh i just decided that we had to also start our own line and make something that beautiful clothes that were saving animals and good for the planet as well mm. so um I, I was lucky to um be raised by uh my mom's a strong woman my grandma was just going out there and getting stuff done so for me it was it was natural I just had to go out and make it happen. <laughs> and you're certainly doing that. So you mentioned fast fashion, and I think the argument to that is always, but I can afford it. And with the, the sustainable and, and, and the vegan uh, lines, usually small, often self-funded, and, and great quality fabrics and workmanship, they tend to be expensive, and a lot of people feel that's just beyond them. So what do you say about that? 
Well, I would ask the question too, when it comes to fast fashion clothes is how long does that actually last? So yes, when we do have items that have more quality construction and materials, they're going to also, you're going to get more bang for your buck with them. So what we do is when we're designing our clothes, cost is a huge factor. We try to make decisions both with the um, the pattern itself and the materials we use, ways that we can um, make sure that our garments are not um, uh just completely unaffordable. Um, we, we did carry brands at the store that there was a price resistance there. And we were very conscious because if people can't afford our vegan clothing, then how are we really making an impact? But one part of that discussion that I think isn't always addressed is when it comes to fast fashion, these clothes aren't designed to last you years. They, um, the way that they're constructed, the way that um, uh, even on a care label, the instructions when it comes to warm water, things like that, they're not designed to give you a long line. And so even though we're buying stuff that is cheaper, in the long run, you need to keep buying these things because they're not lasting us very long. So there's there's a lot of just, um, it, it does require though, uh, as a society to have a discussion about really clothing waste and how we do care for our garments. So yes, it, it, it is a, a fine balance of being able to educate people on what, um, what fast fashion does for the environment, showing people what we do so that while cost is important, they also can see that they will get more out of those garments because we don't want people to just buy an outfit we want something that will be made to last because really that is a huge aspect of sustainability is um not just to continue to buy but to have see clothing as an investment and uh, that those items will uh give you great wear so um yeah there there's a lot of different factors there and i think therein lies the the confusion within society about it's just seen as uh, well why is this so expensive but we need to also ask ourselves why is this so cheap mm. um and um so what we've been working on with our new line is in addition to kind of being as transparent as we can about what we do in our designs to create fashion that well, yes, it's not, we're not going to be able to compete with, you know, $16 dresses, but why keeping our clothes under, you know, the $100, $150 threshold so you can see that this will last you a while. And we've also been working on improving our care labels because a lot of the, um, what isn't really discussed either with fast fashion is the way that, um, garments are cared for just there's a lot of toxicity when it comes to taking things to dry cleaners the way that um uh clothing that's washed as a high heat for the different types of fabric ends up making it so they break down faster and if things are ill-fitting and made with cheaper materials they'll just fall apart and we need keep contributing to this so um we want to open the discussion as well and not just be designing these um pieces 
but really be able to show people um, and lift the curtain with our transparency about why this is such an important issue and to just be, we're conscious about what we put in our body, but if we could also um, get people to see why it's important to think about what we wear. Well, you're very convincing about that. I just heard someone uh, quoting a, a climate scientist who said that we're we're too late and we're not going to cut back on human population in time. We're not going to cut back on fossil fuels. But what we can do, because it is really within the power of individuals, is that we can go vegan and we can compost. And so I'm interested in the sustainability aspect of this and what we as consumers can do to reduce waste uh, from the fashion industry. Um, I there's a the the problem with just why climate change is such a difficult subject is because there's just so many elements of consumer society that it's not just one fix. It cut. It's not just the companies. It's all. It's um, the the regulations when it comes to government. It's how we as consumers shop. There's a huge aspect of. There's no one right answer. So any you know, just like with cutting back with animal products, the more we can take steps and um, really start to make a whole variety of changes, um, the more we can really do to, to tackle this. So, um, while I wouldn't say it's completely doom and gloom, uh, although it is, we do have something like about 12 years to really start to make these changes. So we hope that, um, not only with our clothes, but what we can do to educate, um, consumers about their shopping habits that even if they aren't buying something from us they're gaining something about how we can shop smart and um and just make those decisions but you know another reason i'm a huge believer in brick and mortar is while online shopping does open up so many options for people who may not live in an, um, you know a city like los angeles that's incredibly vegan friendly um there's so many aspects of even if something is made well when you're shipping things everywhere those are fuel costs then um, the way that clothing is just put into poly bags with real plastic um, the, there's a lot about um, e-commerce that isn't sustainable so um, we've been trying to do what we can to figure out ways that not just with the garments but um, the initial production itself, where the materials are sourced and how they end up getting to other retailers and consumers. Um, there's uh, no one fix, but if we can start to tackle every little detail um, and show everyone why this is important, I think we can begin to really make a positive change, but it's it's going to require so many factors because um, up until the last two or three years, I feel like climate change just hasn't been something that we've been concerned about. And it's gotten to the point now where we have to act and it's going to take everyone. Uh, it takes a village, but um, I do really believe that um, now people are really starting to wake up to all of that and um, 
you know, I really hope that uh, we can start to, to turn things around. Well, you certainly are. And I know that a lot of our listeners are and a lot of great people are. So, I mean, if we're in it for the next 10 years, we're going to be in it to win it. Um, So I'm speaking with Amy Rebecca Wild. She's the founder of Vegan Scene and the um, garment company Legends and Vibes. You can find her at veganscene.com and Vegan Scene on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And speaking of Instagram... Did you have any idea when you started Vegans of Instagram that it was going to be what it has become? Uh, no. <laughs> For, um, I just, uh, when I first started the account, it was really just something that I felt like there wasn't, um, and it was a different time too. It was 2011, 2012. So it was when Instagram was new, social media and kind of, I think a lot of veganism's expansion has come from um, how people are able to learn firsthand through social media. So when I first started the account, it was really just a way to connect with other vegans. And um, it I really began to learn from uh, the people who would kind of write in because it, it, it didn't end up being just vegans that would connect with us. There are people who were interested that wanted to learn more about the community and about um, just what it meant to be vegan. And so I that's kind of how, you know, vegan scene really started was um, seeing that craving for not only information, but a sense of community. And that's what I've really tried to um, uh, do with my career is to dedicate my life to being able to make that so more people can see the positive um, impact that veganism has in the world and just being able to share that. And I know I had zero idea that it would um, become such a big account and I mean, the only problem that I'm having now is just with so much to do. I I haven't been able to be um, posting on it as much, but I definitely want to continue to use that platform just because I really strongly believe in what a sense of community and education can do uh, for the movement. And it it was also something for me, too. Like, it it was hard... um, I don't think I had a vegan friend for the first seven or eight years I was vegan. So, um, and I, I met a lot of amazing people uh, just through Instagram and starting to host a, events. Um, I was doing meetups, not just in Los Angeles, but around the country. And I met some really, truly amazing people that I'm still friends with today. And that wouldn't have been possible without starting that account. So regardless of how big it was, what that did for um, just uh, creating uh, and meeting such awesome vegans uh, it was um, no idea it would get there but I'm so happy that uh, it did because um, you know that that was invaluable to have those connections with people wow well I'm not even sure I had heard of Instagram in 2011 but when um Main Street Vegan Academy started in 2012. I remember 
um, Sharon Nazarian of Big City Vegan, who teaches our uh, digital marketing class, you know, she was just pumping to everybody, you have to join Vegans of Instagram, <laughs> and it's shortened. It looks like Vegans o Fig. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, that, that was that was the challenge, you know, with um, having the uh, IG. Um, so I tried to capitalize it, um, but uh, yeah, it just uh, e- even with it looking like so fake, it uh, you know, people ask questions and didn't know what it meant, and that's kind of how they also found the account. So uh, yeah, wow, that is so cool, and you now have over fifty-four thousand followers. Congratulations! That's wonderful. So can you just help our listeners and me and those of us who would like to be more effective on Instagram? What makes that happen? Uh, I would say the first aspect is authenticity and um, really just being genuinely wanting to um, connect and be true to who you are. And uh, I mean, Really, it, it, it is a, a time commitment, but um, just being truthful and not seeing it as, I, I honestly, even if it had five followers, it, it's, it's not the amount of people that really matters. It's just what that can do and what your intentions are. And for me, uh, it was always to, to do better by it. So um, I think, yes, it, it is a, you know, some of the posts that I would work on would take days, if not weeks to do. And it's one of the reasons why I haven't been able to do it. There's just a, a lot that goes into it. But if you're able to to do that um, and, and just be true to yourself and, you know, ask questions, learn, and also be able to help other people. That's my best advice because that's pretty much what I did (laughs) and um, what, you know, I think people look for in having a resource. Uh, uh, People want that personal side. It's, um, you know, we can Google things and learn information, but if we can see a firsthand of somebody who is living it and trying to lead by example, um, that kind of firsthand uh, resource, I think, is invaluable to some and can help people see, hey, this is really interesting. I think I can um, adopt a, a vegan lifestyle or at least take those steps to do so. Um, so that, that, that's my, my best advice. Well, you have certainly accomplished it. So I think we all should be listening. So Amy, you're very well known in the vegan community, but you have also reached out into the pre-vegan world, the world at large. How have you done that and how can we do it? Um, with the, the pre-vegan, well, um, when I went vegan, it was, uh, 2002. And so, um, people weren't even familiar with what the, um, the word meant. So again, I think a lot of, um, what the growth of social media has done has been a huge impact of it. But, um, I think that, uh, it's really been about getting the message to people and the truth out there. Um, and the movement will just continue to grow as we can, um, continue to reach people. My philosophy has always been, um, that there's no, you know, every 
person is different. So there's um, some people will come to veganism in different um, in different ways, and uh, I think it's important that there's no um, one simple way to kind of get people to open their eyes about it. So that's why I've always believed in leading by example. But um, you know, it 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 takes both businesses. Um, individuals, there's so many things that, uh, factors that have played into veganism's growth. But um, for me, I've never found something that I have felt and believed so much was important for animals in our future. So while going vegan such a long time ago was difficult, um, I've never felt so strongly about um, a movement that really could change the world and um while it's not going to happen overnight (laughs) no uh social justice issue ever does but i think that um it's the way that it has really expanded in the last few years has just been a testament to how people have um learned about veganism and seen why it's such an important um, uh, movement for our future, um, for our health, and really for the well-being of animals. Oh, Amy, you have covered it all. Thank you so much. That's Amy Rebecca Wild, Vegan Scene, Legends and Vibes, Vegans of Instagram. Thanks to everybody for listening. Be blessed, be kind, be healthy, be vegan. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.